Happy New Year, for real. It's a new year. It's a new series. And just like every series that we ever have at this church, this series will be all about Jesus. So for the next three months, we are going to go slowly. We're going to look at the way of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, and the everlasting life of Jesus. And so for the weeks leading up to Easter, it's really a three-part series. The weeks leading up to Easter, we will look at the everlasting life of Jesus. In February, for the month of February and into March, we're going to look at some of the difficult truths of Jesus, some of the difficult teachings that Jesus taught and what they mean for our lives. Starting tonight and into the first week of February, though, we're going to look at the unhurried way of Jesus. Anybody ever heard the term hurry sickness? Nobody? Where's my wife? Where's she at? Karen? Oh, there you are, right in front of me. Hurry sickness, not a term you've heard, not in your counseling. Okay. Well, let me help you out. Hurry sickness. Here's what it is. Here's a few definitions. A behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. Here's another definition, a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. I got one more for you. It's from cardiologist Meyer Friedman. Now, Meyer Friedman is the cardiologist who became famous for theorizing that people who were chronically in a hurry are more prone to heart attacks. By the way, he theorized this in the 1950s, and he defined it like this. A continuous struggle, an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time. Let's try to diagnose the disease. We're going to see who in the room here now has hurry sickness. So let me give you just a couple of easy ones, some low balls here. Let's diagnose. Do you move ever from one checkout line to another because the line looks shorter? Show of hands on this one. All right, pretty much the entire room. And maybe if you're like me, I don't even go for the one that looks shorter. I evaluate the people in the line and the checker. (laughs) Yes. All right, I got another one for you. Do you ever count the number of cars in front of you and get into the lane that is the shortest or the oh, show of hands. Okay. I'll tell you, I dropped off my daughter on Monday morning of this week. She already went back to school. I'm actually listening to an audible, a book about uh, the uh, getting rid of hurry in your life. I'm listening to the book, thinking about writing my sermon that day. I'm in my car. I get to my office. It's a left-hand turn. I need to be in the right-hand turn lane because my very next turn is a right But there was a bus and five other cars, so I got in a left-hand turn lane, had to speed out in front of it so I could make, just so I could save five seconds that day, hurry sickness, okay? I think we're all on board here so far. Let me give you actually 10 things, though, and you can score yourself. Count it in your hands. Don't embarrass yourself or anything here. Scare yourself. You can get up to 10 points on this. You want lower, not higher, but here's 10 things for hurry sickness. We'll start with this one, irritability. And there's a little bit of buzz, Dominic, I'm hearing up here. So I don't know if you can turn the gain down just a hair or something, maybe. Irritability. Do you get mad or frustrated or just annoyed easily? Do people have to walk around eggshells around you because you have this low-grade anger that never goes away? Irritability. Give yourself a point. Hypersensitivity. 
All it takes is a minor comment or a little turn of events to just ruin your day. Now, depending on your disposition, this could show up as anger, this could show up as anxiety, or it could show up as tiredness at the end of the day. Number two. Number three, restlessness. When you try to slow down and rest, you can't relax. You watch TV, but simultaneously you're still checking your phone. You're crushing the candy. You're looking at Facebook. You try to have quiet time with God. You try to read a book, but you can't focus for more than a few seconds at a time. Give yourself a point. Are you a workaholic? And this isn't just in your job, but I mean, are you the kind of person that just has nonstop activity? So that by the end of the day, you have what what is now called sunset fatigue. By the end of the day, you have nothing left in the tank to give your partner, to give your kids. They only get the overtired you. Maybe number five, do you have emotional numbness? You have very little capacity to feel another person's pain or even get to the bottom of your own pain for that matter. Number six, do you have out-of-order priorities? You're busier than ever but you don't have time for the things that matter. Is your life more reactive or proactive? Number seven, do you have a lack of care for your body? You don't have time for eight hours of sleep. You don't have time for daily exercise. You don't have time to eat healthy food. You live off of the four horsemen of the food apocalypse. You know who they are? The caffeine, sugar, processed carbs, and alcohol. That is your diet. Number eight, do you have escapist behavior? Your distraction of choice when it's time to rest is overeating or overdrinking or binge watching Netflix or spending time on social media or shopping or looking at porn or whatever your preferred socially acceptable addiction is. Number nine, has there been slippage in your spiritual disciplines? It's usually the first thing to go when we're too busy is our quiet time, our scripture reading, our prayer, our Sabbath, our weekend times of worship. By the way, why would you not want to be here? What an awesome night already tonight. And number 10, isolation. Do you feel disconnected from God? Do you feel disconnected from others? Do you feel disconnected from your own soul? Do you try to pray and you're distracted? Do you try to spend time with friends and yet you feel a million miles away? And when you're alone, When you come face to face with the void of your soul, do you immediately run to digital distraction? It's 10 things. How'd you do? Five out of 10, eight out of 10, 10 out of 10, probably me. You're not alone. Because psychologists are telling us right now that hurry sickness is a modern epidemic. And so I chose this series. I got to pick the series I'm going to take the lead in teaching this series because I need it more than probably anybody else in this church. And so I hope you benefit from it, but I'm teaching this a lot for me this time because I live with a constant undercurrent of anxiety. It's been there most of my adult life, but it's only this past year, 2022, that I finally was able to put a label on what was going on And acknowledge that I'm the one who has caused it. And sometimes I cause anxiety for people around me, too, because of my hurry. Let me tell you a little bit of my story that maybe you don't know. I graduated from college, 
poor kid from southern Indiana, and one of my goals, I mean, you set goals when you get out of school, they tell you to do that, so I remember writing this down, one of my goals, 21 years old, was to retire by the age of 40. Again, poor kid, southern Indiana, I didn't need much, so I'm just like, I'm going to work real hard, I'm going to carve out a nice life, I'm going to try to retire by the age of 40, just a dream, you know. And so by setting that goal, though, without realizing it, I set myself on a hurry trajectory, I felt like I was living my life with this constant clock ticking, that I had a deadline coming that I needed to achieve. And so I worked 80, 90 hours a week. So did my wife. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with working 80 or 90 hours a week for a season of your life when you need to. But we started a business. We bought some houses. We moved to Florida. We started another business. We bought some more houses. We had kids and more kids. And life was fast. And yeah, it felt very hurried, but I said, it's okay, because I'm going to slow down at 40. And just to remind myself, you guys know I have a lot of tattoos. One of the very first one I ever got, just to remind myself, you got to slow down when you get there, is Mark 8.36. I put it right here on my arm. I only had that one. It's Mark 8.36 says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world if he loses his soul? And so while I was hurrying and while I was working hard, what does it profit a man, though, to gain the world if he loses his soul? And so 40 came much too fast. And much to my surprise, I had put myself in a position to retire or at least slow down a lot. There's a lot of luck, right place at the right time, a lot of God's grace, I think, blessing me because he knew I would do other things in life. And so did I slow down? 40 years old, did I stop being in such a hurry? Did I finally start to save her life? Nah, because I have a disease. I have hurry sickness. 47 years old now. Instead of slowing down at 40, I started a church. I started two more businesses. I picked up countless hobbies. I was a beekeeper for a while for the love. I mean, what am I doing? Photography, drone flying, whatever, you name it, boating. And I did all of this in what is naturally the busiest season of life of being a parent of teenagers that are busy and in all kinds of things and being a good husband and all of that. And I used to wear all that busyness and activity and hurry as a badge of honor, to be honest. It's like, what's your problem? What's wrong with you? I'm running three businesses. I'm pastoring a church. I'm being a good husband. I'm fathering three kids. And I still am finding time to boat and travel and learn photography and web design and play in the band. And I'd hear people say, man, you better learn to slow down or your body's going to make you slow down. And I would respond in my head, what a crock. They were right. I was wrong. The sickness caught up with me. And I won't go in all the details, but I now see hurry, not as a badge of honor, but as that millstone that Jesus talks about around my deck, trying to drown me in a sea of hurry. Now, I don't know a lot of your stories, but I do know a lot of them. And I know our stories may be different, but here's what I know. It's the age of iPhones and 24-hour news cycles and nonstop noise and a 100-mile-an-hour pace of life. And it's over busy. It's a hurried life. And that hurried life is now the new normal in our culture. And that new normal is toxic. It's toxic for our emotional health. 
Psychologists tell us that anxiety is often the canary in the coal mine, our soul's way of telling us that there is something deeply wrong. And so it's toxic to our emotional health, but it's also toxic to our physical health. Just ask my doctor. Blood pressure medicine, cholesterol medicine. But if emotional toxicity and physical toxicity weren't enough, hurry is also toxic to our spiritual lives. And that's a very churchy world, right? The spiritual life. But let me just break it down real simple for you. Your spiritual life per Jesus is to love God and to love others. That's your spiritual life in a nutshell. As followers of Jesus, we are to be pervaded by love. And as the old song goes, you can't hurry love. Hurry is incompatible with love because love, real love, man, it takes time. Listen to Paul. It's probably the most beautiful writing on love that there is. 1 Corinthians 13, maybe you had it at your wedding. I know you've heard it before, but Paul starts with what? Love is patient. That's the antithesis of hurry, patience. He says love is not noisy like a gong. He says love is not arrogant like someone who's always in a hurry. Love is not rude. Love is not irritable. Love is not hypersensitive. Love doesn't come from emotional numbness. Many of my worst moments as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, as a human being have been as a result of being in a hurry. Karen tells me from time to time that when I am in a hurry, when I'm in that mindset, that I just have this aura that I pull off that is just tension and agitation. And you can feel it. And the people around me can feel it. Remember last year, we talked about the book of Galatians. We looked at the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all of that. We've already said that hurry is incompatible with love. But what about Joy. Is hurry compatible with joy, or we could state it another way, happiness? I mean, you don't have to stay in the church. All the gurus will tell you that the secret to a happy life is being present in the moment. It's hard to stay present in the moment when you're always in a hurry. Love, joy, peace. What about peace? Do we even need to make a case that hurry is in conflict with deep calm in our souls? And not only does hurry keep us from the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness of the kingdom of God, but hurry keeps us away from God himself. So a lot of talk today. What is the greatest challenge for the church? I mean, especially since the pandemic, the church has just really struggled getting back on its feet and people are pulling away. And so we say, what is the greatest challenge to the church And I've heard things like American nationalism, certainly that can be it, or political polarization, or the prosperity gospel, and yes, all that's true. Maybe it's the fall of celebrity pastors, and that is true, or how poorly the church has done at addressing completely complex social issues, and all of those are true issues within the church. But many now believe that hurry is the greatest problem within the church. One writer wrote it like this. He says, hurry is a sociopathic predator loose in our modern world. I love that our ladies group, Jessica Leeds back there, started back up this Tuesday night. They've been reading through the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Screwtape Letters was written in the 1940s, and if you don't know the premise, it's just these two demons basically conspiring against a guy to take down his life. And it's just a great book and a lot of symbolism in it. 
But if we read this book, it's really easy to see that Satan doesn't show up as this demon with a pitchfork. He's far more intelligent than that. And so Satan can be that alert on your phone while you're trying to read your Bible. Or Satan can be that full-on dopamine addiction you have to Instagram. Or Satan can be that other priority that is constantly taking you away from coming here on Saturday night to worship with a community of believers. Corey Ten Boom, she said this. She says, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Do you see the truth in that? That both sin and hurry, they actually have the same effect on our lives. They cut off our connection to God. Sin and hurry cuts off our connection to God, to other people, and even to our own souls. Carl Jung, psychologist, he's Myers-Briggs fame, INFP. I don't know what everybody is in the room. That's Carl Jung. He wrote this, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. I like that because hurry is not Christ-like. In fact, it's the opposite of being Christ-like. It is the antichrist. And as I thought about that this week, I said, what what did John write about the Antichrist at the end of the Bible in Revelation 13? And he gives us this image that he has in this vision of the Antichrist. And as I read the words, and I want to do it with you now, I want us to imagine the Antichrist not as a person, but as this concept of hurry. Verse 1 says, and I saw a beast, hurry, coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns and on each head a blasphemous name. Seven-headed time sucks of Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Be Real, Twitter, Netflix, and Hulu. (laughs) Verse 3, the whole world was filled with wonder and followed that beast. They worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? Verse 5 says, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and exercise its authority. It opens its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Hurry, the Antichrist. Ronald Rollhauser, he's a Catholic. We won't hold that against him. He's a good writer and educator. He says this, Today a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these. It is just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in the church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. I like that word too, pathological busyness, hurry sickness. Whatever label you want to give it, Houston, we have a problem. And this epidemic that we have of hurry knows no boundaries. 
doesn't care about ethnicity or gender or life stage or socioeconomic class. College students are in a hurry. Parents are in a hurry. Empty nesters still in a hurry. We need help. And this time, in this pandemic, the government isn't giving out any paycheck protection loans. There's no mandated shutdowns or slowdowns because, honestly, the system is built upon hurry. Hurry is so ingrained into our psyche that it's easy to assume that this pace of life that we are all in now is normal. And we're going to get into that in a few weeks, but I'm going to tell you it's not We are testing out this pace right now as a species, and the results are terrifying. This isn't something that the doctor's going to tell you just to keep your eye on and see what happens. Hurry's there, and it's already killing relationships. It's killing our joy. It's killing our gratitude. It's hard to be uh, appreciative when you're always in a rush of the goodness of a moment. Hurry kills our wisdom because we have no quiet of the mind. Hurry is killing marriages and families. Hurry is killing thoughtful work. Hurry is killing creativity and generosity. Name your value, and I can promise you that the hurry of this world is doing damage to that value. And so where do we turn? How do we avoid lying on our deathbeds and looking back at our lives and realized we wasted our one chance that we had at living? Where do we turn? We're in church, and the answer, of course, is easy. It's Jesus. More specifically, it's the unhurried way of Jesus. And so this verse from Matthew 11, it's going to be kind of our mantra for this series that we go through on the unhurried way of Jesus. And it goes like this, and it's going to be very familiar to most of you who have been in the church for any length of time. It's like this. Then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. Jesus as the life gets a lot of attention as it should. I mean, Jesus came, he lived the perfect life, he died the perfect death, he rose again, which brought to us eternal life. That is theology. That is the good news that we looked at throughout the entire book of Galatians, the life of Jesus. Jesus as the truth also gets a lot of attention, as it should. That's our ethics. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies, turn the other cheeks, give to the poor, show hospitality to the outcast, the life, the truth. But what about the way of Jesus? When we read the Gospels, we see the way of Jesus. We see his relaxed manner. We see how in the moment he always seemed. We see his resolute peace through uncertainty. We see his lack of anxiety. Eugene Peterson said this, he says, The Jesus way, wedded to the Jesus truth, brings about the Jesus life. But Jesus as the truth gets far more attention than Jesus as the way. Jesus as the way is the most frequently evaded metaphor among the Christians with with whom I have worked for 50 years as a North American pastor. After Christmas that we just celebrated, after the birth of Jesus... And before Easter, before his death and resurrection, in the life of Jesus, if Jesus showed up at your synagogue, 
The category you would have placed Jesus in was that of a rabbi. It's a Hebrew word that simply means teacher. And like every rabbi of his day, Jesus had two things. Jesus, first of all, he had a yoke. Not a literal yoke. This isn't the farmer with the oxen of plow. This is an idiom. It's the first century's way. A yoke was a common idiom for a rabbi's way of reading the Torah. And so the yoke would be his set of teachings on marriage, divorce, prayer, money, conflict resolution, government engagement. That would be his yoke. All of the teachings combined was the yoke. So what made Jesus unique wasn't that he had a yoke. All rabbis had a yoke. It was that Jesus had an easy yoke. So the first thing he had was a yoke. Second thing he had was apprentices. Hebrew word for apprentice is Talmudim. We usually translate Talmudim as disciples, which is fine. It's what we know in the church. But apprentice actually better captures for us the idea of that word. And the whole point of being an apprentice or being in an apprenticeship is to learn the way of the teacher, of the master. And so in so doing, as Jesus said, to experience life and life to the fullest. And yes, he means our eternal life, but he also means this life right here, right now. And so everywhere that Jesus went, as he ministered, he would offer up an invitation. Sometimes it was, come, follow me, and be my disciple, be my apprentice. Sometimes it was, come, be my disciple, be my apprentice. And sometimes, at least one time that we know of, it's Matthew eleven twenty eight that we just read. I'm going to read it again. Eugene Peterson, he translated the message, or paratransphrased the message version of the Bible. I love, always have loved how he writes this. He says, Jesus speaking, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That was the invitation in 30 AD. That is still the invitation in 2023 as we kick off this new year. To slow down to take up Jesus' easy yoke, his way, to travel through this life, not running with Jesus, but walking with Jesus at his side, learning from him, allowing him to shoulder the weight of life. Jesus' closest friend said of him that he was anointed with the oil of joy more than anyone else. This is a really fancy way of saying, man, Jesus is the happiest man we've ever met. He's the happiest man alive. And it didn't take any quick fix or three-step formulas or no easy acronym. Jesus isn't going to give us that. There's no silver bullet for slowing down your life. There's no life hack for your soul. And anyone who says anything any differently than that is trying to sell you something. Life is hard. Full stop. No comma. No but. So an easy life is not an option. But an easy yoke is. Frederick Dale Bruner, he's a top scholar on Matthew's gospel. He said it like this. A yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is 
is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Reality is that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his Sermon on the Mount, to his yoke, will develop in us a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. People in the church, people out there in the world, we're all looking for an escape from the weight and the hurry of life. And the best the world can offer is some temporary distractions that delay the inevitable. So that's why Jesus doesn't offer us an escape. He offers something better to his apprentices. He offers equipment. He offers a yoke, a way to bear the weight of humanity with ease. At his side, like two oxen in the field, with a yoke tied shoulder to shoulder, Jesus doing the heavy lifting at his pace, present in the moment, full of love and joy and peace. As apprentices of Jesus here at this church, we're going to spend the next five weeks looking at the yoke of Jesus. That's interesting. (laughs) I don't know what that was. Uh, We're going to look at the next five weeks. We're going to look at the yoke of Jesus, his lifestyle, his way. And so that's going to be Sabbath we look at next week. And then we're going to look at silence. And then we're going to look at solitude, simplicity, and finally, slowing. So that's the next five weeks. We're just laying the groundwork this week to prove to you that we are in a hurry and that we need to slow down. And so if you're weary tonight, if you're feeling a little tired or a little anxious, or maybe you just got a sneaking suspicion that there's got to be a better way to life, hang with us for the next five weeks as we explore the unhurried way of Jesus. Now, I think it would be appropriate tonight, not that we hurry out the door, but we kind of slow down here even more as we close. And we're just going to have a moment of some unhurried quiet and worship. So I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes and bow your heads. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to reread Jesus's invitation to his apprentices. And I'm going to read it slowly and unhurried. And as I read this, just allow each word to take time to sink in. And so Jesus begins like this, come to me. Come to me all who are weary. All who are burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you Learn from me For I am gentle I am humble in heart And you will find rest for your souls.
for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Father God, we come to you tonight in this moment unhurried, pausing as we just listen for your voice. Knowing you as a father, knowing you as our rabbi, knowing you as our friend. God, as we leave this place tonight and we go back into our hurried lives, help us to get out of the cycle of hurry. Away from the stress, away from the tiredness, away from the distractions, away from the anxiety. God, remind us of your way. Help us to slow down. Savor the moments. Feel your presence. God, as we sing this final song, we just lay down our hurried lives at the cross. God, let us surrender our busyness to you as we take up your yoke. God, we pray all these things in your son's name, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.